And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. What is our mindset and how do we interact with God's people? We know that the church of Christ, the church is the bride of Christ. The imagery is very clear that the church is the bride of Christ, and she should be beautiful to us, and she should be honored. But a higher and higher percentage of Americans in particular lose this perspective, and their involvement goes down a little bit more every year. Maybe you are just checking out Jesus. You're totally new to this whole thing, and maybe you're visiting the church for the first time. Please listen in. Um, You'll see the heart of Jesus, and you'll see how the church is supposed to function. I love the church worldwide, and I love this church. I love Discover Christian Church. I love the people here. But sadly, the American church has gotten some bad press, even even though it does so much good stuff. Here at this church, we rarely spend time talking specifically about how to treat each other. We're a very outwardly focused church. A healthy love of our fellow Christians, though, spills out into everywhere we go, as Jesus intended love and compassion to travel. Love and compassion in the church becomes a natural extension everywhere we go, into the workplace, into school, into our recreation area. If the church is to be a light to a hurting world, then we must first make sure we are healthy as we go. So in order to excel at loving and showing compassion for our fellow brothers and sisters, we must first have a biblical perspective of the church and a biblical perspective of our church family. So we'll be looking at the whys this morning, the hows, and then we'll also ask the question, are there any exceptions to brothers and sisters that we can withhold love and compassion from? So you'll get to hear the answer at the end. All right, so let's start with the whys. Why do we have to show love and compassion to fellow Christians? Why is it so important? So first, we understand that Christ-like love is the launch pad for everything that we do as believers. Secondly, in the church, and this is really important, we are genetically linked through the blood of Jesus Christ once we become Christians. The gospel tells us that Jesus was punished for our sins. His blood was shed so that our sins could be forgiven. He was buried, and then he arose three days later and appeared to many. That's the gospel. And we respond to that. And when we um, confess Jesus as Lord and we meet him in baptism, our sins are washed away, we receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, then we become related to other Christians. Jesus is our elder brother. God is our father. We share the same Holy Spirit. Our DNA is literally the same. Thirdly, if we have a Christian spouse or a Christian parent, a child, a niece or nephew, an aunt or uncle, a Christian boyfriend or girlfriend, whatever, they are also our spiritual siblings. And we need to think about this as we go through these principles of how we are supposed to love our brothers and sisters in the church. Cheryl is my wife, but she is also my sister. I have three biological sons, but they're also my brothers in the faith. 
And so be thinking of that concept as we go through this. Now, I want to look at all the components that we're, we're going to look about 10 things, just move through them quickly, that occur as we interact with Christians that need to be there in a good balance. And I want you to just look at them as uh, things that need to be in place if we are to have a healthy spiritual garden. Uh, last summer, we put a garden out. My son Andy and my daughter-in-law Lindy and I uh, were the three gardeners, and we put this garden out, and we rototilled it. We put the fertilizer down. We weeded it. By midsummer, man, we thought we were going to have this bumper harvest. We had all of these blooms coming all over the place, and the vines were growing. And by the end of the summer, we had little to no fruit. Uh, my daughter-in-law got one little watermelon out of the way, uh, off of it. She was really excited about it, and she opened it up, started eating. She goes, "Ah, this thing tastes like a tomato," and my tomatoes tasted horrible too. And so it was pretty much a wasted garden. The tomatoes were little. I mean, the, the potatoes were little that we dug up. So we sent away for a, a soil sample through Ohio State Cooperative Extension. And it came back that we were missing virtually all phosphate in our garden. And phosphate's what's necessary to produce the fruit. So this year, we rototilled, we're going to weed, but we also put down general fertilizer, but we also hit it hard with phosphate. And we're hoping that that will make the difference, that everything will now be in balance. And so the principles that we're talking about this morning kind of relate to that. Each one of them represents something like rain and sunshine and dirt and soil nutrients. There are certain things that we're going to go through where we just need to weed them out of our lives. And if they're all in balance and they're there in the proper amount, then we should have good fruit, good spiritual fruit. So let's begin. We'll take a look at the first why as to why we need to love our brothers and sisters. Now, Jesus is in the upper room. He's washed the disciples' feet. He has told Judas that he is going to betray him. He will later tell Peter that you're going to deny me three times. And sandwiched in between this is this, this uh, part in John 13, 33 through 35. He says, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. He knows he's going to be crucified and he's going to die. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, I, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. Now, that's not a new command in and of itself. That's been around since Moses. But the new part of it is, as I have loved you, so you must love one another also. That's the new part. And Jesus is saying, hey, I've shown you mercy and forgiveness and sacrifice, and you've seen me uh, take in the most um, ravaged people. And that's how I want to see you guys love. And then he makes a very telling statement. He says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So we are supposed to love our fellow brothers and sisters like Jesus loved us. That's a pretty tall order. But also with that is, is that that's how people who have not accepted Christ will look and go, hey, they're Christians. See, they need to be able to look at the church. They need to be able to see how Christians interact and say, there's something special about them. They have a deep love for each other. And see, that's the kind that will draw them 
to Jesus. I think about the oxygen mask example, oxygen mask example when you're on an airplane or, and the steward or stewardess says, hey, if we lose cabin pressure, the oxygen mask will drop down. And it's the parents who are supposed to put the mask on first and then on the children. And that's the exact opposite of the way we think. But in this particular case, the parents put them on first because the little kids wouldn't know what to do. If mom and dad are passed out, that's not a good thing. And so they put them on first, and then lovingly, then they can put them on the children. And in this particular case, as we love each other because Jesus has commanded us to, we need to do that first before we head out into the community because if we don't love our own, we're not going to attract anybody to the church. So now the rest of the time, we're going to be hanging out in 1 Peter a lot today. I, I love the book of 1 and 2 Peter, and Peter's writing to believers, and one of his main themes is loving each other. And so we're going to start out with another big why we need to do this in 1 Peter 1, 22 and 23. Now you have been purified, you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other. We'll stop right there. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, you have purified yourself, you have been saved. By obeying the truth, you have responded to the gospel. So now that you have been saved by obeying the gospel, now you have, so that you have sincere love. It doesn't say so that you can now love. It says so that you have sincere love. It's an automatic thing. And in this particular word love, in the English language, we just have love. But when you look at the Greek word that Peter used, he used the word Philadelphia from phileo. This is a healthy brotherly love. This is where we cover each other's backs. We just have a deep familial love for our brothers and sisters. Because why? We are related to each other through Jesus, our elder brother. Here's the thing. We have to understand that loving each other is not something we need to do. This says, so that you have sincere love. Because we are saved, we just have it. Now, we may fight it. We may be miserable at it. But he's saying it's automatic because we're related. Then he goes on to the next one. He says, love one another deeply from the heart. Now, in this particular time, he uses, for love, he uses the word agape, which is a sacrificial, sacrificial godlike, of, godlike type of love. And he says, I want you to sacrificially love one another deeply. In other words, fervently, not flippantly. And I want you to do it from the heart. I want it to be sincere. Then he goes on to say, he gives another why. He just reemphasizes what he's already said. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed. In other words, of the, of the man, of a human father's reproductive seed, but of imperishable seed, that's Jesus Christ, through the living and enduring word of God, through the gospel. We have been born again through Jesus because we responded to the gospel. And that is why we are to love our brothers and sisters dearly. So Jesus said to, 
That's a commandment. And then Peter's telling us, hey, it's part of your DNA. And that's the second reason, because we're saved. Warren Wiersbe writes, Peter used two different words for love here. Philadelphia, which is brotherly love, and agape, which is godlike, sacrificial love. It is important that we share both kinds of love. We share brotherly love because we are brothers and sisters in Christ and have likenesses. We share agape love because we belong to God and therefore can overlook differences. So now, here's the thing. As Christians, we can often go love people that we hardly even know. Or maybe we can love people in the church that we really don't know. But the closer in that they get and the more time that they spend with us, we might run into somebody who might be annoying or somebody who is mean to us or we interpret that they are. And so now what do we do? This is where it gets hard. What this is telling us is we need to make a conscious decision that I will love my brother and sisters in Christ regardless of how they treat me. The great apostle Urban Meyer has this in his book, Above the Line. Uh, he has this like math equation, E plus R equals O. How many are familiar with this? Okay. Everyone in Columbus should have this, even if you, you know, but okay, I'm going. So, so here's the deal. The E stands for events that occur. And he makes a point that we really can't control the events. Most of them, they're, they're, they're outside of our, our uh, control. But the R stands for our response to it. And so the, the event that occurs and then our response to it determines the outcome. And he makes the point that we need to make sure that we respond to things in a way that is excellent. And this so applies here in the church. When we're mistreated by people, or for whatever reason we're annoyed, our response needs to be a Christ-driven response. Because ultimately, the outcome needs to be one where we love our fellow brothers and sisters, and ultimately, God is honored. That's the outcome that we want. And so we need to make a conscious decision to love people, all Christians, not just those that love us or that are easy to love. We go to verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. This is where we're weeding things out of our lives. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. I've got this labeled under the heading, live righteously with each other. So we are supposed to love each other deeply. We are supposed to live righteously with each other. So we're supposed to get rid of malice. This is where we have a, a desire to do evil to somebody, to have ill will towards somebody. We need to get rid of that, especially with our Christian brothers and sisters. It starts with us. Then we're supposed to get rid of deceit. We're not supposed to conceal information or misrepresent the truth. We're not to lie. 
We're not to have hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is identified as one of the reasons why especially millennials are turning away from the church. The way we behave on Sunday morning should be the way we behave at home. And the longer we're in the faith, the more those two should get to be where they're virtually the same. We want to get rid of hypocrisy. Then we want to get rid of envy, and that's, that's just the uh, awareness, the painful, resentful awareness that you have something that I don't have, and it just kind of drives me nuts that you have it and I don't have, and we need to get rid of that type of thing. And then we need to get rid of slander of every kind. Where's because slander tearing each other down? This can be saying discouraging things to each other, killing somebody's self-esteem. It can be saying untrue things about people and destroying their reputation when it shouldn't be destroyed. Now keep in mind, this applies to spouses, to parents, to our kids, to our friends, ex-friends, whatever it may be. These are the things we want to weed out. Now we go to verse 2. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. It is so critical that as a church we crave God's Word. When I look back over my life and the headaches I've caused myself, the heartaches, whatever it might be, there's very few of them that I could not have been that I could not have prevented if I would have simply been immersing myself in God's will, His Word, if I'd have just been trying to figure out exactly what He wanted me to do. And at my age now, I crave God's Word. I read virtually every day. I, I, I journal a lot of days because I know how important it is for me to be learning what He has to say to me in God's Word. But now here's the, the thing. We're to have an appetite for it, but if we're full on malice and deceit and hypocrisy, envy, and slander, then we will not have an appetite left for the Word of God. And so that's why we need to push those things out and begin to crave God's Word. So we need to live, love deeply live righteously with each other, crave God's Word together, and now we jump to 1 Peter 3.8. And he gives us some positive things now that we're supposed to do. Finally, all of you, remember he's writing to believers, finally all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. He's saying be like-minded, live in harmony. We're not going to agree on everything. The most loving family in the world will disagree on things. But they will learn to deal with conflict in a healthy manner. And as Christian brothers and sisters, when we disagree on things, we have to realize that the love for each other comes first. We go to God's Word to study it. We immerse our problems in prayer and ask God for guidance, and we rely on the Holy Spirit's direction and maybe we won't resolve what we disagree on, but we can walk away from it saying, I don't agree with you on this, but I still love you, and I will treat you with respect. 
Then it says to be sympathetic, which is just basically we have the ability to feel pity and sorrow for somebody else's misfortune and to be compassionate. And we define compassionate every week where we have this deep awareness of the suffering of another person. In this case, it would be a brother or sister who's going through suffering, and we want to do something to relieve that suffering. And lastly, we want to be humble. Now, at first, that this would appear to be one of the easier ones, but it may actually be one of the hardest. Romans 12.10 tells us, Be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. This isn't a matter, oh, I'm no good, you're really great, I'm going to honor you. This is the thing, we're both children of God, but I want what's best for you more than I want what's best for me. Ephesians 5.21 says this, and these words hit us so hard in our culture. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What that's saying is, I might want something, but your well-being is more important than mine. And I would rather have what you, I want you to have what you want more than I want the thing for myself. This goes totally contrary to our culture. We are a, con a culture obsessed with selfies, self-awareness, self-esteem, self-health books. The word self is constant anymore. But we need to be obsessed with the Jesus culture and we're instructed to be humble and to not worry about self and to worry about our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, we might be tempted to go, well, is this Peter just kind of going off on his own, doing his own thing? But remember, he's operating under the, the direction of the Holy Spirit. But Paul echoes almost these identical words in Ephesians 4, 2, and 3. He says, be completely humble and gentle be patient, bearing with one another in love. In other words, don't let people get on your nerves and look past their faults. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We do everything we can to keep a peaceful bond between us. Now we move to 1 Peter 3, 9. And this is a very powerful verse. It says, do not replay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. See, as Christians, when we're insulted, when somebody does something bad to us, we're to respond with kindness. We're to respond with a blessing. Once again, this is totally contrary to our culture. Then in verse 10, it says, For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. 
over the years, I've grown a lot in this area, but my mouth has gotten me in trouble way too many times. Has anybody else had that problem? I mean, I, I go, no, no, good, I'm not the only person, you know, and so when I'm sitting there in the morning and I'm like just me and the Lord are talking and I'm confessing things and I'm like, eh, yeah, once more I have to, you know, talk about this with you. I'm really sorry. And so, um, you know, our mouth can create so many problems. It's the way we tear people down. It's the way we drive wedges. Now, this next verse is really important. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it with our mouth we must create a peaceful environment. And then it says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. See, oftentimes, we may be living a life totally contrary to what the Bible teaches, totally contrary to what God's wanting us to do. And we go about these things, and then like, oh, yeah, Lord, I have a prayer request. I need you to do this, 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 and this. And then when that doesn't happen, well, Lord didn't answer my prayer. But it's common sense. If we walk around sticking our tongue out at the Lord or worse, and then say, hey, we mind fulfilling, fulfilling this prayer request? It says right here, his eyes are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. Their, yeah, their prayers. We may have made mistakes in our life, but it's just so important that we go, you know what, Lord, I repent of these things, and I want to dedicate my life to holiness. I want to make good decisions. And when we really strive to grow in our holiness and do the right things, we will start to see a change in our answered prayers. Then we get to 1 Peter 4. We're almost done. 1 Peter 4, 8 through 10. It says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Now, what this is saying is, hey, if we are filled with the love of Christ, Christ who took the punishment for our sins on the cross, he has showed us compassion, he showed us mercy, he's shown us forgiveness, that love in us will cover over a multitude of sins against us. In other words, we will look past people's grievances. We won't get so upset and want to take our toys and go play elsewhere. We will stay with it. We will continue to love people. Then each of you should use whatever gifts you received. Um, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling is the next thing. That's pretty self-explanatory. And then each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. So we are to serve our brothers and sisters first, and then we, we venture outside the church. Now, my last point on this is very straightforward. All of these things, love deeply from the heart, live righteously, whatever it might be, it requires us to be in close proximity with other Christians. And if we wake up on a Sunday morning and go, boy, you know, last night was fun, but I don't feel like getting up, or, you know, the Buckeyes lost last night, I just can't get myself up to go talk with Jesus this morning, or whatever it might be, I'm, I, I've worked so hard this week, I just don't have any energy left to go worship and hear God's Word, we will not put ourselves in the proximity of Christians so that we can love on them. 
The Apostle Paul was already dealing with this in the early church. In Hebrews 10, 23-25, it says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. So he's saying, now listen, Christians, we are to spur one another on, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Church attendance has gone down across the United States greatly. People will identify themselves as regular attenders at a church if they're there one or one and a half times a month. But how do you minister to fellow brothers and sisters in Christ when you're not around them? And Paul's saying, don't give up the habit of meeting together. And then he says, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. As every day passes, we are closer and closer to Jesus coming again, and we need to be encouraging each other, spurring one another on. It requires us to have close proximity regularly with other Christians. So just a super fast recap. We are to, can we put this up on the screen? There should be a, a recap. Um, love deeply from the heart. We are to live righteously with each other. We're supposed to get rid of the weeds of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. We are to crave God's word together. We are to live in harmony together. We are to be sympathetic and compassionate to one another. We are to show humility towards each other. We're supposed to let grievances go. Don't get hung up on stuff. If somebody does something, just let it go. Offer hospitality without grumbling. We're to serve each other. But, but really importantly, we need to be together regularly so we can do that. So who are the exceptions to the love deeply clause? By now you probably have figured out as far as if somebody says, hey, I'm a brother or sister in Christ, there are no exceptions. Students, you may be thinking, you know what, um, there's a kid at school and they say they're Christian, but, you know, they're not like me. And they don't have it all together from a Christian perspective. And they're a mean or they're annoying. But that's where you have to go, you know what, I have to love that person because I'm a Christian. It's a conscious decision just to love people. It's very hard. In the home, the closer people get to us, the harder it can get. Our spouses, our children, our parents, they're not exempt. There are no exceptions to loving our Christian brothers and sisters. And all we have to be concerned with is, I have to make a conscious decision to love and show compassion to people. I want to close with this challenge, uh, and we're going to go into communion here very shortly. I want you to think about who in your life you have made an exception of. Maybe you said, you know, that person just gets under my skin, or I really struggle with them. 
as we go into communion and you're sitting there reflecting, pray about this and ask God to help you love that person. It's not easy. I've been working at this now for 58 years. I've, I've gotten much better at it, but it takes time. But who is it that God's laying on your heart that you have made an exception of? And who? And then ask Him to help you learn to love them. We're going to go into communion right now. And... Um, it's just a great time to remember what Jesus did on the cross for us. It's a great time to reflect on this very challenge I just gave you. And then after that, the praise team will have a song where if you want to make a decision for Jesus, you can come forward. If you want to come forward for prayer, you can do that. We have staff and elders around here that will be glad to come down and pray with you. With that, let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, Man, uh, there's uh, just been many times when I have failed in this particular area. Um, and so I would just pray for myself. I would pray for this church family that we will be a church family that loves each other deeply to the heart. I would pray that as a church family that we will let things go, that we will forgive each other quickly and be about the mission that you have called the church to, and that's to share your son's story of grace and forgiveness and eternal life with people. Forgive us when we make exceptions to your commandments. Fill us with just a compassion and a love for those in the church as well as outside of the church. That's our earnest prayer. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.